Hello, everybody. We are back from our um, uh, delayed hiatus or small break thing. November um, break. Yeah, our November break. And we are beginning our holiday season on the podcast right. where we ask the question Hey, remember the ox? A lot of people seem to right now. Yeah, I feel like since our November break, it's just come up even more and more and more. Um, And we talk about everything from the 2000s on this podcast to from limited to to justice. I think that was the other like teeny bopper shop. Uh, I was going to bring up shops. I'm going to bring up. Do you remember when Hot Topic had the the crazy like gateway entrance oh yeah yeah and it looks like a burnt down forest yes yeah and then and then they just did a documentary on this van dutch which i didn't own any van dutch no i just remember van dutch yeah no von dutch what the i'm the worst (laughs) but today we're introducing a new host to this podcast Brought him on for his expertise on whoop, our whoop. series Aww. for the pre-MCU movies. And let us introduce our friend, Yonel. Yonel! Hey. Yes. Thank you for having me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We've been talking about having Yonel on this podcast, like, basically since its inception. Yes. Aww. We, we love Yonel. Aww, yeah. thank you. And um, we had mentioned throwing around like pre MCU movies even back then, and you expressed interest in those movies. So once we yeah. decided to do it for this holiday season, we were like, "All right, let's do it." It's time. Awesome. Yeah. It's time. Not everyone is meant to make a difference, but for me, the choice to live an ordinary life is no longer an option. um uh i guess so yeah let's let's get started um where do you guys want to start well you know would you like to say anything uh about yourself your socials or anything you want to promote uh nothing i gotta promote but i'm an artist that uh man a big comic book fan ever since i was Oh man, I had to be like seven or eight. Um, started off with a Superman comic, and as I got into my teenage years, evolved into like Spider Man, especially Ultimate Spider Man, Thor, and just full blown Marvel. And so it's really crazy how um, something that kind of was niche has become so mainstream. Mm. And this this movie, this movie was one of my favorites. You guys have no idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many times I watched this um, on bootleg <laughs> my, <laughs> uh, um, when it first came out? Oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, this this what this one helped define my uh, my teenage years. I was a freshman when it came out. Yanel, were you more of a DC fan or a Marvel fan? Uh, when I was a kid, probably up until I was. Um... 
maybe 10 i was more dc because that was mainly my comic books i used to get comic books from like local uh supermarket but mm-hmm. when i got into my teenage years uh, with the introduction of uh brian michael bendis's ultimate spider-man i got really into it because mm-hmm. you know um it's a little backstory on that uh, comic book series it kind of like a retelling of the spider-man origin through uh 2000s kind of look or feel to it and it was very very relatable so that really got me full blown back into uh, Marvel, and that evolved into Thor, X Men, the whole uh, Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. I, I actually I read in college that the Ultimate Spider Man run. I, my friend Eli yeah. he handed me a copy of the Omnibus for Ultimate Spider Man, and it was like you kind of just get sucked in. Like the artwork's incredible, and just like we all know the Spider Man story, but it was really well done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was a, a great modern retelling. It took liberties with different characters that were really established, like uh, like the Green Goblin and Doc Ock, uh, that you know were received very. They had very mixed reviews, but mm. um, man, that that comic book series inspired me to do my own comic book um, and, and draw even uh, draw even more in in, um, in high school. Yeah, that was. That's a good series. To, that's a great starting off point for anyone looking to get yeah. into comic books for the first time. Yeah, hundred percent. And like, in the, and not only that, but like, the Ultimate Universe. Like, if I'm correct, you can correct me on this. The Ultimate Universe doesn't exist anymore. It kind of got eaten. But a lot yeah, of those yeah. characters, like a lot of those staple characters from the Ultimate Universe, are now regulars in the regular universe. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the biggest uh, characters to leave from the Ultimate Universe is miles morales spider-man yep, yep. and so they figured out a way to integrate him into the uh marvel 616 universe the mainstream marvel universe mm-hmm. um so that series had a lot of great ideas and great interpretations of classic characters that you know they figured you know what let's put this this character into the mainstream universe because this is too good to just let it die in the ultimate universe mm-hmm. yeah when i was a kid I definitely was more of a DC fan and part of that was I would watch the Batman animated series and like Teen Titans with my dad and he had a lot of like DC comic books that um, I've taken on but for some reason like Spider-Man felt different you know like he always liked the DC characters because he felt like they were more relatable but there's something just universally relatable about a kid from Queens who you know, wants to help his family and just goof around and also like save New York City. Yeah. 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 It was so, also like the fact that he was from Forest Hills. I knew Forest Hills. It, it, I mean, a lot of these superheroes take, uh, superhero stories take place in, in New York City, but that one kid from Queens, Forest Hills, I know where Forest Hills is. Um, it just felt a little bit more relatable, felt a little bit more, um, oh, this is my guy, you know? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's more approachable and more accessible. Even when I was yeah. watching, when we, we were going to talk about the first movie, um, there's locations I very much recognize from like Kew Gardens, Forest Hills, Queen Bo- Queens Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, even the, I'll say this, even the Tom Holland ones use a lot more Queens. I, I mean, I haven't seen it since, but the Amazing Spider-Mans, they felt maybe too pretty. It felt very, you know, Manhattan-y. I don't know, yeah. I could be wrong. I don't even think it felt Manhattan-y. It felt like a, a soundstage in California. 
yeah. you know yeah. i think that they did shoot in, in new york but it's still very much like like you're saying the production quality definitely feels more like a big budget yeah. hollywood la film and maybe that's what they felt like they needed to go in like maybe that's the direction they felt like they needed to go in to separate themselves from the original trilogy um but i don't think that it really worked in the way that they wanted it to no i think it just made it even less relatable there's a yeah, lot the city just seemed like a setting rather than an actual character itself in those movies yeah but i mean like do we want to talk about too like how old we were when we saw this movie yes. like did we go see it in the movie theater what were we thinking when this movie came out as kids yes um, if I can start, I remember it came out in 2002. So we had just entered Courtney and I, we just started middle school, like sixth grade. That's right. That's right. And, um, I actually didn't see the first one in theaters. Oh, you didn't? No, it was, um, I saw the second one in theaters, okay. but, uh, I saw the first one on home release and just fell in love with it. Like I was, I didn't, what's weird is I like, we were talking about Spider-Man being this universal hero and that's, you know, that, that goes not only like that go that holds really true and you see it even with the toy sales it spider-man alone by far is the most profitable superhero of all time being mm -hmm. like only being second to like no not second uh followed up by batman but even like batman's merch sales don't even compare to spider-man mm. i think it goes spider-man batman and superman and then everybody else <laughs> but um I remember when I saw this, it, it blew me, it blew my mind. And I remember, I'll always remember this was a funny bit for me. Um, mm -hmm. Like the stereotype for young boys, especially in like the late nineties was like to have like women posters in their room, you know, something from like a sports illustrated. And I'll never forget my cousin in his bedroom above his bed on the ceiling had a life-size poster of Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. <laughs> And I'll never forget that. Was it the one with the twin towers in the reflection? Yeah. No, no, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's going to be talked about today because this movie yeah. is such a perfect time capsule of that time. And like Absolutely. all the things that came out around it. Like, do we even want to? Well, why don't you guys talk about where you were when this came out? Like, did you see? I mean, you know, you had to see this in the theater, right? No, uh, so no. It might, no, no, just the bootleg. Um, yeah, it was a bootleg, <laughs> and um, I don't know why we didn't. I think uh, my parents are very conservative, so I did, they didn't want me going to movie theaters, even at the age of 13, which was weird, but that's beside the point. Um, <laughs> but uh, my dad got the bootleg because I begged him because I wanted to see it so so bad, and he got the bootleg, and it was like so bad. Right, because I saw it maybe a couple of years ago. I'm like, I watched this so many times. Right, looking back on it, um, but I was um, that was my first year in high school. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. freshman in high school, and everyone already knew me as like a comic book geek or whatever. And people were constantly asking, "Did you watch it? Did you watch it?" I remember one guy kind of confronting me in the hallway, saying, "I'm just surprised you haven't watched it yet." Right? Oh my goodness. Because at that point, my dad needed time to get the bootleg, and he didn't record it himself. I think he got it from a friend. So it's just like, wow. I uh, love of how I they were don't condone it, but 
it's they were just too like, conservative to take you to the movie theater for you to go to the movie theater, but the, the bootleg is okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, it's just like, you know, actually we can avoid a potential crime yeah, by just yeah. watching it in the movie theater. But yeah, that movie, oh my God, it was such a great positive starting point for, um, I don't know, me me being a teenager. It was, oh, you, have, you guys have no idea how how much I watched that movie and how much I tried to copy it in my in the comic books I would try to create. It was such a defining moment for me when I was a teenager. I mean, what is really cool about the film is I feel like it definitely doesn't shy away from the comic book aspect of it. And even when they yeah. do the sewing montage, which <laughs> is so funny to me now, the, the illustrations that he does for his costume are very comic booky. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, I would say that like when when this movie came out, we went as a family, and it's so funny how I haven't seen this movie in a very long time, but even just watching it today, and I would say that this is the most janky version of watching it. I watched it on YouTube for free, and it was just like the five minute bits, and then it would go to another ep- episode, and it was just the next five minutes, and then the next five minutes. Um, but it kind of felt like I was just watching a movie with commercials. Yeah. Um, even watching it now, I could remember the exact moments in the movie theater where I got scared and couldn't like oh, look at the yeah. screen. So it was like the spider bite. Um, the times where like the green goblin would sort of like flash before his eyes. Now yeah. I think that's just hilarious because it's like, booga booga booga. Like I noticed that rewatching these, like yeah. Sam Raimi's horror inspiration really does pull through. Like even in the second okay. one, there's that famous scene. But like I remember in this movie, like even the the fight that the green goblin and Spider Man have towards the end, it's a brutal fight. That's just visceral yeah. and like yeah. you you it feel like Tobey Maguire is really getting the shit kicked out of him like when he hits his face against those bricks I feel it, it there is yeah. a weight to it you know it was brutal I was comparing it to like some of the stuff you see in like the Tom Holland version and I'm like this this just seems like a straight uh straight beat down from uh, yeah. the green cobbler. I'm like, jeez, this is right. vicious. <laughs> like, first he gets like an explosion to the face. <laughs> exactly. And then he gets pushed through like broken glass. And then he lands on a pile of bricks and gets hit in the face. And I'm like, oh, yeah. that, I think that proves the sort of resiliency that the spider bite has given him because it would be just dead, dead, dead. Exactly. Oh, if it was a normal person. <laughs> Destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> I love that flying kick that uh, the Green Goblin did, though. That was, oh, for me, that was cheesy, but I loved it when he was beating it down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was definitely, like, a variety of good graphics and really awkwardly bad graphics. Mm-hmm. And then there were just these little moments of 2000s charm, like when they're in Times Square and there's a big singular advertisement. I'm like, singular doesn't exist anymore. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, should we get into like the beginning of the film or do you want to start with facts, Tom? Oh, I could do facts. Let's do facts. Let's do facts. Awesome. Okay. Um, fun fact, did you know they've been trying to make this movie since the 90s? That makes sense to me. They were yeah. trying to make this movie for a very long time and originally was attached to James Cameron. 
Oh. James Cameron yeah, was originally uh supposed to do it and Leonardo DiCaprio was his top billing, but there was a few other people who wanted to be Spider-Man. Do you know, do you know any some of the other names? I think the only other person I know is uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. I was going to say Jake um, Gyllenhaal, yeah. Who dated I, Kirsten Dunst for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but yeah, I don't think, I think that's all I, I, I know. I'm curious to see who else. Like well, Leonardo DiCaprio is such a, yeah. I don't know, that would be. I found oh, out this funny casting. tidbit in the 90s uh, while while it was still technically being worked on which, by James Cameron. Uh, a certain Michael Jackson was very interested in pursuing the role to be to Peter Parker. Like he actively really pushed to be Spider-Man. Like, apparently that's his favorite superhero. I do love the nerdiness that does come out of celebrities when their favorite superhero is up for grabs. Like you will just find this like unabashed quality from these big figures and these big names when their favorite superhero is up for grabs. Um, That's really bizarre. That would be such a bizarre Spider-Man. Yeah, Yeah, that would have been been wild. (laughs) I do think that Tobey Maguire kind of like fits the build for Peter yeah. Parker, I just I've never met anyone who can simultaneously look forty and twelve at the exact same time. Oh my god! All right. Like he looks so old at the same time, he looks like a child. He's a weird one, honestly. And I I, I did kind of laugh because I'm so used to like you know we see more age appropriate casting currently. Mm-hmm. So, like, it was a little jarring in the opening scene when, like, you see a clearly 30-year-old man chasing after a school bus. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think he's only just 40-something now. But even as a kid in the movie theater, I was like, they're just pretending to be high schoolers, right? These people <laughs> look legitimately old. And I think because we've known um, Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst in movies for a long time, it was easy for us to not believe that they were actually teenagers. I think at this point, like James Franco was only the really newbie. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Where it was really jarring was, um, I forgot the guy that plays Flash Thompson, Joe. Oh, Joe Manganiello. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, this man is way too old to be in high school right now, beating up on on this other 40 year old dude. For me, it was kind of jarring watching him like, First of all, this guy is huge, and yep. it's just like, hey, yeah, five o'clock shadow. What's going on? <laughs> Actually, but also, like, a... his voice is so high then, too. Yeah. Like, he's still this, like, 40-year-old man, and he's like, Peter Parker! <laughs> <laughs> I have a funny story about him, actually. Did you guys hear this? Hmm. He has revealed recently um, that on the set, there was a lot of rumors that uh, Tom McGuire was kind of a handful. Yeah. Hmm. So um, apparently the crew of the movie offered Joe a hundred bucks to because that to by accidentally hit Tom McGuire during the fight scene. Oh my gosh! Really? Yeah, they, offered, they literally apparently like somebody came up to him and was like, "We'll give you a couple hundred bucks if you just hit Tom McGuire." And he looked over at some like the sound guy, and the sound guy just gave him a look like, "Are you gonna do it?" 
<laughs> and he decided against it because he's like, I'm gonna ever, I'm gonna ruin my Hollywood career by breaking Spider-Man's oh. nose. Oh. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, he didn't really hit it big until I'm gonna say Magic Mike. Like I know he was in things before that, like True yeah. Blood, but I think it was Magic Mike that made people think like, wait, who is this guy? And then his relationship with Sofia Vergara became a really big deal because it's just like, right, yeah, yeah, there's two beautiful, good-looking people. Right, okay, they deserve each other, you know? Um, What does Tobey Maguire being a handful mean? Um, Apparently he's like a jerk, I've heard. Oh, really? Um, Yeah. Oh, interesting. Huh. He also has a very severe gambling addiction. Really? Yeah, yeah. A... it was. I don't know if you're gonna go into it on that movie. Go yeah, ahead, um, you do. Yeah, because I forgot the name. Yeah, of Yeah, uh, I don't know the name of it off the top of my head. I think it had J- Jessica Chastain in it she and Michael Sarah. Like yeah, plays this dealer that well, or this person that arranges these like high stakes poker games across uh, I don't know across the country or across New York City. And there's a character that's like this Hollywood type. Played by Michael Sarah, who's like, uh, like an obsessive gambler. Huh. Right. And I don't know everything about it, but that's supposedly supposed to be Toby Maguire because it's based off of folk. It's based off a true story. <gasps> really? Is it? Yeah. Molly's game. Yes. 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 Oh, I didn't know that it had to do with Toby Maguire. That's so interesting. Yeah, that was. Uh, he was at uh, Michael Sarah's character. Player X. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, somebody who it's funny because we've been uh, when we've been watching Spider Man, I keep end up ending up making connections to Topher Grace um, <laughs> <laughs> because Octavia Spencer makes an appearance in this movie, yeah. um, and she is in a movie that I watched as a kid called Win a Date with Tad Hamilton, and Topher Grace is in that movie. But also when you mentioned gambling. I just remembered there's a scene early on in Ocean's Eleven where um, they're teaching celebrities how to play poker. And Topher Grace um, improvises the scene where he's just like, looky here, guys, all reds. And that was like his only line really in the movie. And then that's it. Like he plays Topher Grace, but then he's not in any more of the movie. (laughs) That's wild. And then Topher Grace (laughs) comes into Spider-Man 3. Um, And they mentioned Eddie in this one, which surprised me. You actually messaged me about that. Yeah. um, You you would ask, was this something that they had planned? And I I think, you know, you can correct me. But otherwise, I don't think it was a plan. I think it was just an Easter egg. Sam Raimi Raimi is not a fan of the Venom character. See, that's so funny to me because, like, I loved Venom when I was a kid and I will stand by the Venom movie I don't care how messy it is it's a good movie go get on Venom Woody Harrelson in the second one is Carnage excellent casting oh my god I I can't take myself like Venom is one of my favorite villains Uh, like probably my my favorite spider-man villain yeah and one of my favorite anti-heroes so just seeing like i'm like man it is so easy to do this (laughs) character story in spider-man why can't they get this right why is tom hardy but for me it's like a trigger like 
oh my goodness, I'm seeing one of my favorite characters just being like, I mean, outside of that, like, if I take myself out of it and enjoy the movie, I'm like, it's kind of ridiculous, but I also kind of like it, like, that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, Joe, Joe and I, like, went into it with not a lot of expectation. We just knew that, like, Tom Hardy really brought a lot to the role. Yeah. And we were like, this is a mess, and we love it. This is this is a hot mess that we love, and I want more of it. <laughs> uh, and you know, the same way that I love like Transformers, I'm like, this isn't good. Yeah, but that doesn't mean I don't enjoy it. Exactly. I have to say, like, at least this is a like. I think the look of Venom is great. Like, the look right. is great, and I think Tom Hardy brings a lot to it. It just felt kind of weird to me. Although, let's see what happens now because. Apparently, Venom Venom is now Venom. Uh, got Doctor Strange into the other universe. Wait, so is he gonna be in the new one? Maybe. Uh, I don't know. Okay, don't know. I mean, like, I am really sick of the MCU, but I'm very excited for the new Spider-Man because it definitely, definitely plays on this the nostalgia for these movies that we're talking about. Yes, right, that's that's that was part of the inspiration. Like we need to talk about Spider Man as Spider Man's yeah. coming up. Also, um, I kind of I kind of want to mm-hmm. say, uh, mm-hmm. I I know you're sick of it, but personally, I still like the MCU. But I also feel like anytime Doctor Strange is in something, it becomes infinitely better. Yeah, I I, I do really, really like Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I like. I think with him in it, um, it's going to be. Yeah, everyone's looking forward to it. And yeah. And his uh, second movie. And I, I feel like Benedict Cumberbatch is such a like larger-than-life celebrity at this point. So I, I sort of like the snarkiness that comes with Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it's very fitting for the comedy of Peter Parker. Um, because Peter Parker always is like a little bit... Uh, he has a little bit of that like wry comedy... Uh, so I, I like that uh, Doctor Strange is going to be paired with it. That feels much more obtainable to me as a movie I'd watch rather than Iron Man being in it in the previous ones. Yeah. It always feels weird having him as kind of the mentor. Yeah. Spider-Man. Like, for me, I'm just like, well, that's kind of, that's not like, they're, they have two different personalities. They're not really mentors in the comic books except for one storyline. Mm. But. I was like, all right, this is its own adaptation. Right? Yeah. See where they where they take it. Yeah. Now I have more of an interest in watching the MCU Spider-Man movies. Spider-Man. Um, yeah. I didn't have any interest in Eternals, but I do want to watch Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi was awesome. very good. And yes. Eternals, I liked it more than most people. And really? I, think- I haven't watched it yet. It, okay. okay, I will say this. The first 20 minutes are really bad because the first 20 minutes is trying to explain, like, a new religion to a bunch of people who don't care about religion. Because that's what it is. Like, Eternals is kind of, like, its own mythology and lore that it originally was created outside the Marvel Universe. Yeah. But um, the movie... So the first 20 minutes is kind of hard. But once you get the plot and once they're like, we have a goal to achieve, it's actually, I really, really dug it. Like, it was really cool. Also, shot, like, really well. Like, it was a lot of locations and these large, like, wide-scale, you know, images and just the grand scale of the Celestials. It was, I, mm. I had a great time. I had a great time with it. 
I think part of it is that like it's a whole new group of people right and now suddenly fans have to grow an attachment and an introduction and an exposition of all of these new characters but it's different than how that worked for guardians of the galaxy one guardians of the galaxy has way fewer people and also they're incredibly flawed all these eternals they're eternal they are basically gods i'm not concerned for their safety i know one or something happens to one or two of them right but like i feel like the guardians can be killed and therefore and they're very flawed so therefore i'm interested in their mishaps and their growth they're all relatable yeah, they're also exactly. kind of dumb. They're also, I would say, half the yeah, team they're is stupid. very dumb. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, most of the team is very dumb, except for Gamora. Right, and then she's yeah. just mad that she's the smartest person there. Mm-hmm. So, what I think mm-hmm. is a good line from like Guardians that really encapsulate, inca- uh, you know, kind of gets the theme and makes it relatable to me mm-hmm. is I, I think Rocket says, um, "Why do you want to save the universe?" And it's like Peter Quill's because I'm one of the people that live in it, and for yeah. me, I'm like. That makes sense. That is the most reasonable reason. Exactly. And I can imagine in Eternals that they have to save the universe because, you know, they're gods or whatever. And that's cool, but that's not really relatable to you and me. It's just like, yeah, Yeah. I want to save the world because this is the only place I can live, right? Right, exactly. uh, I think that that, that's like, I think a huge, uh, no, granted, I didn't see it yet, but that's like the vibe I kind of got. I don't know anything about the Eternals, uh, but... I will say there is a twist to the Eternals that I I thought was pretty clever. Okay. And it does borrow from the original Jim Starlin vision. No, Jack Kirby, sorry, Jack Kirby's vision cuz I read mm-hmm. the the in the omnibus for the original Eternals like years ago. Mhm. But um yeah, there's a twist there. But guys, it, we got to get back Is it the Harry What's Styles up? thing? No. Is it the Okay. No, okay. No, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Although I think that was perfect casting. He is well, great. I, he is... After going to a Harry Styles concert, I'm all for it. I get it now. I get the love for Harry Styles. At first I was like, okay, <laughs> he makes good solo music. Now, yes, all for it. I'm all on the Harry Styles train. Yep. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry if this got spoiled for you, but yes, Harry Styles is Eros and... Uh, I mean, Pat I didn't Nog. say who he was. You're the one who ruined oh. that. Oh, no. <laughs> and, Pat, and Patton Oswalt is Pip the Troll, which I love Pip what? the Troll. He's a great character. That I didn't know about. I didn't know about Patton Oswalt. But I didn't know I just, Pip the Troll. I just briefly mentioned Harry Styles. I didn't say where he fell into it. <laughs> okay, but so... We're talking about Spider-Man because of the nostalgia factor, because MCU is definitely playing out on our millennial love for nostalgia. Um, I would say, like, just even with the beginning, when the movie starts, I loved seeing the spider webs in the credits. Oh, Me and that too. score, that score is incredible. The Danny, Danny Elfman, amazing. Yeah. I think that Danny Elfman was perfect for it because he doesn't play too much on what made him popular with Danny Elfman, but there's enough whimsy in there because there is some whimsy in Spider-Man. You want to be flying among the skyscrapers with him. So you get a little of that, like, but not too much. Yeah. Also, this is the first time you see that uh, comic book opening with the flipping of the pages. Right, right. This was the first movie to do that. I feel like then it was more special. Yeah. 
And now um, it's like, okay. I would say that honestly, I think after rewatching this, one, um, I will steal this quote from somebody else who talked about this movie. I think this might be one of the most pure adaptations of a comic book to film ever. Like it is pure, totally. like camp comic booky. Yeah. And second, like rewatching it, there's a lot of this that clearly set the foundation for the MCU. Like everything that works in this does get carried over as the template for like all modern superhero movies. Absolutely. Well, that's what I I definitely think that uh, what I like about this Spider-Man and what I like about like pre MCU movies is there's no pressure to make it dark and quote-unquote realistic it is like okay here's queens but then also here's willem dafoe running around in this like spandex latex green suit (laughs) and they still play into the sort of like silliness of seeing these grown men run around in spandex outfits that's Um, right at the same time it's really fun it's It's so so much fun also it doesn't look stupid fun Hmm? fact about Willem Dafoe. Did you know that for this movie, he had dentures put in? Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Really? But the, he only wears the dentures when he's Osborne. When he starts to become the goblin, he doesn't wear the dentures and his teeth look more... Like, that was a choice by him. And you, he just... He steals the show, honestly. I mean, Willem Dafoe is amazing. Oh my yes, god. He he is one of the best. Oh like, my I, gosh, that voice that he puts voice. on every goblin. Oh my goodness. I can't imagine this role being for anybody else. You know? I mean, his voice as he's like turning into the Green Goblin, like that scene where he's having the conversation with himself is just so good. And I just feel like Willem Dafoe is the only one who is capable of making that feel real. Yeah. Scary. Yeah. And um, I think that's exactly why, like, he was chosen for Ryuk, for Death Note. That movie is an absolute disaster. But the one, like, truly good thing that came out of it was, and also Lakeith Stanfield as L. Um, yeah. But, like, Willem Dafoe as Ryuk, I think, solely comes from his work as Green Goblin. Oh, yeah. Well, even, like, you see it in um, The Lighthouse. Oh, really? You- yeah, because he pulls out that crazy performance. Lighthouse mm-hmm. is a great but wild movie. I don't know if I yeah. can recommend it to you, Courtney. Actually, I, I've Courtney, heard I enough recommend... about what happens in it. I do like I, Robert Pattinson. I recommend, you know, I'm going to recommend Lighthouse to you, Courtney. I don't, maybe. You watched Tetsuo <laughs> the Iron Man. It's like I did, that. <laughs> I did. I watched Tetsuo of the Iron Man. <laughs> so, y'all know, for context, have you ever heard of Tetsuo the Iron Man? No. It is a very, um, very good, but kind of disturbing movie about... It's a 1980s Japanese horror short film. And it's it's one of those movies that is put on iceberg lists of most disturbing movies. It's like a tier three, which is like where Martyrs and... And 150 Days of Sodom, like movies like that. Some really dark, twisted stuff. Oh, boy. And Courtney's like, Courtney's like, I don't like horror movies. And then she's like, so I decided to watch Tetsuo the Iron Man. I'm like, what? (laughs) It's got a lot of stop motion in it. You you skipped two tiers. You went straight from no horror movies to tier three. I mean, it's a lot of aluminum foil. 
it's not that bad. <laughs> you know what's crazy though about like PTSD is like I was just watching Real Housewives last night and I still found a way for that to translate into a nightmare last night. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. Because like one of the housewives, um, I was watching Real Housewives of Potomac, which is definitely the best crew. <laughs> and one of them has a medical issue that I have. And she was like, if it doesn't get fixed, I'll need surgery. And I was like, uh-oh. So I had this nightmare that I needed surgery and I don't have health insurance. So I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And then I also often have nightmares about like, what would happen if I had to take my cats outside? How would I keep them contained? So I had, like, I dreamt that I had to go to the hospital and have surgery, but also the cats were coming with me. So, you know, it just goes to show you that like... Tetsuo could do nothing, but Real Housewives of Potomac could do some damage too. <laughs> um, Make you wild. think of uh, different scenarios. Yeah, exactly. But okay, so my thing with um, uh, Willem Dafoe as Norman Osborn is, um, you know, they show him in the facility, and he takes the green stuff, and he like performs. The procedure on himself because he is desperate to get some income and get some funding yeah. for his research um and then he kills the doctor that's helping him and everyone the next day is like oh my god he's dead nobody knows what happened in a facility that requires that much funding from the government You'd have cameras in that bitch. Exactly. I was thinking about that, too, because it's just like, this is a government contract. This is super serious. This is like, as if they were like, uh, what do you call it? Like, Boeing or any of those government contracts. Like, they, like, they dot their I's and cross all their T's. There would be cameras up the wazoo in that facility, whether or not uh, Norman was actually, is actually the CEO or a board member. So that was something I did notice as well. Um, if anything, talking, they could. Sorry, go ahead. No, and about that in that scene, there was that was a little like I want to say jarring, but just like okay, this kind of it didn't take me out of it. Mm-hmm. It made it seem like a, a soundstage. Uh, was the fact that I'm like, oh, okay, them meeting the generals, it doesn't look official enough. And mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe it's because we're older now, we see this more on television. It just it it seemed like. It didn't seem like wow, like this is definitely a big serious thing. There should be a lot of people here who need to sign off on this thing, and just having a few people, um, just like uh, just there from art from the army. I was like, okay, this kind of takes me. It's not really realistic, but at the same time, it kind of goes back to what you're saying. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't really have to be. I mean, I got the point of what they're what they're trying to do. It's a government contract. It's really important. They have to get this uh, signed off. But it was something that just like. You know, like, oh, there'd be a lot more people here. There wouldn't be just right. like five people here. That know? is like a top tier security system conversation about like creating weaponry and yeah. um, these like, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but like sort of like natural, like enhancing these like body enhancing um, experiments that they're working on. You wouldn't just have all of those officials just walking around. You yeah, would have like no. a secluded meeting where only like two or three of like the top executives are involved in the conversation because like a lot of scientists in that scenario know so little like they are only clear of their own objective and that's about it yeah yeah 
Also, in reality, that scientist would not be speaking up to. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I was like, ooh, he's, he's going to get fired. <laughs> if anything, he would have like a PowerPoint presentation in a conference yeah. room and then he'd a be brief. out. Yeah, exactly. Also, I wanted to point out, speaking of like the government funding and like the government putting pressure, like you better have this thing ready or, you know, Norman Osborne. They go to the competitor who builds like a like a capsule rocket. Right. W- what is that? Yeah, is I that? noticed that too. How is that practical? <laughs> Elon Musk is somewhere being like, they made a capsule rocket. <laughs> like that. I noticed that too. Like that was so. I'm like, I'm watching that thing, and I'm like, this is what you're opting for. And it, I think it might be like, I don't know if that's deliberate comedy on Sam Raimi's part. He is kind of like, he has humor like that. Because then that's when Will, you know, Will the folk just rides in and blows that shit up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. The capsule rocket also sort of reminded me of Paul Giamatti as the rhino. <laughs> so then I started looking at the rhino, and then I'm like, you know, they just made him not scary because one, I just don't think Paul Giamatti is meant to be a Marvel villain. I think he's no. amazing. I just don't think that was like the right fit for him. But it, it sort of just triggered me into thinking of, like, Paul Giamatti in the rhino suit. And then I'm like, oh, nope, those people are all dead now. Oh, boy. <laughs> he kills I so think was... many people in this movie. Sorry. Yonah. Yeah. No, no. It, it, it just, he just straight up murders them. But I think one of the greatest things is that, I don't know, uh, maybe it was the, I don't know if you call it the cinematography or the framing of it. You, you, you just hear that laughter, which I was like, even as a kid, I was like, yo, this is kind of dope. You hear laughter and then, yeah. bo- then you see the pumpkin bomb. And it's just like, that is so powerful to me because it was just like, yo, this guy is legit, like terrifying. You don't know when he's going to come out and, and just fuck shit up. Like this, ugh, that was a great scene where it's just like, ha, 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 ha. And all of a sudden, you see that pumpkin bomb and you see the, the general screamed his <laughs> scream his lungs out basically uh when he bombs in the bunker oh, i mean this movie conditioned an entire generation of children to just be like yeah crazy willem dafoe i yeah. can fuck with that <laughs> oh my god yeah um but you know for me it was also exciting to see like the scene at Columbia University just because like I love the the steps of Columbia University (laughs) but there's also like a lot of like memorable New York scenery like Times Square and the Met and you know I just I loved seeing Macy Gray like that felt like the most 2000s thing about this movie was that Macy Gray was performing (laughs) yeah I loved it (laughs) (laughs) um also, I would say as a kid, I definitely had no idea who Bruce Campbell was. Did you know oh, who Bruce Campbell yeah. was by the time that you saw this movie, Tom? Um, by the time the third movie came out, I knew. Okay. And I was up, like, there is this theory, and I think Yonel definitely knows this theory, that because obviously if, if the fourth movie were to have happened, Bruce Campbell was going to be Mysterio. Right. So the theory goes oh. to say that he was Mysterio the whole time, just kind of sl- like slowly influencing Spider-Man's journey. Huh. Which we got to talk a- about that wrestling scene. I fucking love that yes. wrestling scene. Uh, Let's talk about the wrestling scene. Um, Boonsa! Boonsa! <laughs> freak show, you ain't going nowhere. I, I memorized that line. It was so great. So also, great. 
I forgot about the guy who's leaving as the human spider as en- uh, when he is entering. And he's just like, oh, my legs. Captain, my legs. <laughs> Um, I also do want to mention, I, I couldn't remember it verbatim, but once he said it, I remembered the not cool joke that hasn't aged well about like, oh, yeah. did uh, your husband make that outfit? <laughs> if he did have a husband who made him that outfit, that was a very nice gesture. It is a beautiful yeah, exactly. wrestling costume. It's amazing. Oh, also, there's nothing um, wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to say, I did hear this in like following up on other people who've talked about this movie. A point gets brought up because when the ca- when it becomes a cage match, mm-hmm. P- you know Peter Parker, Tom McGuire starts to panic. He goes, "I didn't know it was going to be a cage match," and it's like you're Spider Man. Like that would be the optimal scenario for you. Yeah, Absolutely. I was confused by that too. But what I also thought was funny was as a kid who did not watch any wrestling. Um, the scene made complete sense to me. I was like, yeah, sure, underground wrestling. And now as a grown-up, I'm like, what is going on here? What is the vibe? <laughs> what is the demographic? There's a lot of people attending this thing. Exactly. Is it, is it legitimate wrestling? Because then it would be fake and these people wouldn't be in pain. But there's a lot of people here if this is an underground situation. It did make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, that's a very good point because... I was even I was looking at like if, if this was if there were this many people here this would be sponsored by the I don't know WWE or something yeah. this is this is le- way too legit for something like this to be just merely like an underground, an underground. fighting ring yeah exactly, exactly. like a, a place where people are actually getting hurt and you know offering that much money um, hmm. but apparently not and that's why the person gets away oh, oh uh, yes. Octavia Spencer did give them that. Uh, we call it waiver warning. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, something I've noticed that's unique to only this version of Spider-Man. Everybody seems to hate Peter Parker. Like everybody. Because <laughs> even in the in like you know you were talking about earlier the Ultimate version in those books he has friends. Yeah. And then like in the new movies like he has his best friend Ned. You know, he has, he has, even in the Andrew Garfield one, like, he's not a nerd so much as he's, like, the angsty kid that, you know, that the bullies pick on. Yeah, he's just kind of a dork. In in this movie, like, the entire city of New York hates Peter Parker. (laughs) (laughs) Beginning from that scene where he uh, finally catches up with the bus, and it's just, like, you see everyone's reaction to him getting on the bus and potentially sitting next to him. And you can see all the students were just like, oh, no, get away from me. It, it's because they don't want to sit next to a 30-year-old man. <laughs> <laughs> Even his best friend is like, like a scumbag. I know. <laughs> when they're at the Columbia University tour and they're talking about the spiders and then he yeah. uses that line, I'm like, that's a douche move. What, what about like bro code? Like, you know your best friend's yeah. been in love with her for forever. I think I, I forgot that that was such a heavy component in this story was like the the love triangle rom-com aspect of yeah. it. Um, they definitely laid on very, very thick. Yes. With this trilogy. I think that, honestly, this is my personal thing, and we can talk about when we get to Spider-Man 2, but that I don't buy the relationship so much in this one. The second one, I think, is a little better. But like, I think 
I think they're they play their roles really well when they're not in the same room together. Hmm. Do you mean like specifically? Um, I was gonna say Peter McGuire, uh, Toby <laughs> McGuire, Toby McGuire, and Kristen Dunst. Yes, <laughs> that's funny because they did date in real life. That's true. They did date every <laughs> every uh Peter Parker. I almost said Peter Pan that time. Now I don't know what's happening. <laughs> My brain is frying. Um, every Peter Parker and every leading lady, whether it's MJ or Gwen Stacy, has dated each other. Ah, oh, it's true. Yep. Maybe it's all those like high flying stunts. You're just holding that person <laughs> tight all the time. It's the power of Spider Man. <laughs> um, no, I, I thought that they were quite believable. I didn't believe in any of the chemistry between James Franco and Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, that was very like. How would these two even be a couple post no. uh, post high school? Yeah, <laughs> like the scene where he leans in to kiss her, and she has that like really uncomfortably chinoiserie outfit out on. And he just like ends up kissing her cheek. It's like, dude, you gotta you gotta pull the brakes here. Don't keep going <laughs> in after she's turned away from you. That that um, I felt like was uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I was gonna say like not trying to be mean, but out of all of them, James Franco is kind of the weakest actor in these films. Well, yeah, because this was like his first big film that's true yeah but i know that um he actually was up he was originally up for spider-man well that's why he cast him as harry right yeah uh i remember it was obviously a connection with uh jed apatow and sam raimi Mm -hmm. there was just like this connection of like oh we like this guy we want him in this movie but he gets so outperformed especially in the second movie yeah yeah yeah, I, I mean, even when he uh, catches uh, Peter and MJ, like, holding hands at the hospital, and yeah. then he just immediately goes home and is like, Daddy, she doesn't love me. I'm just like, yeah. you son of a bitch. This is your fault. <laughs> and doesn't, exactly. Doesn't Norman give him, like, that weird speech? Like He does. Yeah. But that's also the Green Goblin, so he's meant to be the bad guy. Yeah, but it's just funny because he's like, I haven't been there for you before, but I'm going to be now. I'm going to kill your ex-girlfriend. It's like, what? What? (laughs) 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 That went from zero to a hundred real quick. But I do really love this movie. There is something that the plot just makes a lot of sense to me. And I feel like they set it up in a very pragmatic logistical way it's like okay he gets bit he realizes he can do some cool shit and then he realizes like okay i need a car to impress mj forget the fact that he has powers and he can take her swinging you know he could do his whole version of a whole new world with her but instead he's (laughs) like i gotta get a car and then that leads him to the wrestling match and then that's what leads us to the moment that nobody ever needs to see again ever which is uncle ben dying yeah yeah like, it's a meme at this point yeah because we've seen it a lot we haven't seen it nearly as much as batman's parents dying no that martha no but um this movie kind of does it so perfectly like that moment like before like when they're sitting in the car peter's being sort of an asshole and his uncle is just like it gives them the with great power comes great responsibility speech. I mean, that's still and a like, great line. 
it's yeah. such a great line and then like you i felt the genuine pain when like when you know Tom mcguire kind of just brushes him off Oof, and you yeah. see uncle ben just you see him ha- sit with that pain because he yeah, loves his he loves him so much and it was but you're not my father yeah oh my god that hits so hard that but that's what works right like that's where we get the pivotal motivation like this dummy dumb kid witnesses the consequences of his negligence and is like i have to do something about this i wanted to yell at toby Maguire in that moment because i'm like you do not talk to the man who raised you like that okay you do not talk to your uncle ben like that he was a complete and utter asshole yeah. <laughs> it was just like dude why are you like you let him down you were supposed to help him paint the house right or paint the kitchen and you just been mia and i know he's a teenager he's supposed to play a teenager but it was just like you didn't have to go that hard and you know that he immediately regrets saying it when he like uh when uncle ben goes back to holding the wheel and he's just like pausing for a second before he exits out of the car um but I I was just like, man, you didn't have to go that hard. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's one of those moments that when I saw it in the movie theater, I just looked at my dad and I'd be like, I would not talk to you like that. Just, <laughs> just a heads up. That guy's, that guy's a dick. <laughs> he doesn't represent us as teenagers. He doesn't represent us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we are a spectrum as teenagers. <laughs> But that's what's sad, too, is, like, it is a dick move, but you could still see how it happens. Right. Um, I love that they retconned what happens with the thief in Spider-Man 3. I mean, at that point, Sam Raimi is just like, let's just burn this shit down to the ground. That, that was... Yeah. That broke my heart. Yeah. Yeah. And... I know that Martin Sheen plays Uncle Ben in the Andrew Garfield version, and this actor, I, I haven't seen him in the same way that, like, we all know who Martin Sheen is. Martin Sheen is, like, to me, like, one of the great actors. But it, there's something still that is just more powerful and more memorable about um, this actor playing yeah. Uncle Ben. His name is yeah. uh, Cliff Robertson. Right, right. I think what the uh, Garfield movies did was... Um... They didn't really focus on Uncle Ben that much. The Garfield to... movies, the, the cat movies did not focus on <laughs> Uncle Ben too much. <laughs> and you Garfield. We got <laughs> I knew what you meant, but I just, I couldn't help but picture it in my head. So, what, what, like, I know that, what was the speech in the Garfield one? Like, he, he gave, like, remember. a knock. Like, Man, you, neither do I. But like they, something they about seem... responsibility and being accountable as a young man or something like that. Yeah, it's, like, it's okay, definitely like a dollar store version of this. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just like they focused more on the his relationship with his father more than I guess oh, the relationship with Uncle weird Ben. Plot. I was just like I yeah, was just that like, plot is uh, so janky. Yeah, I, I was just like, okay, so it kind of takes the power away from um what Uncle Ben says to him. Right. It's like they they try to add this explanation for why his parents died and like sure, fine, I get wanting to add um, a deeper context to dead parents in any superhero Disney princess origin. Um, but then it does make you feel less attached to Uncle Ben because you're like, well, he has parents. In this one, yeah. you feel that these people have raised him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And what's, uh, it, this is like generally a thing with the character. I think his parents are supposed to be undercover shield agents or whatever. 
Okay. And I, even as a kid, I was like, okay, that kind of, it's kind of dumb, right? <laughs> um, because, you know, Spider-Man is supposed to be relatable and having parents that are secret agents for one of the top secret organizations in the world doesn't really, it kind of takes away from that. Does that not I do mean, it for you, Yano? No, I'm just like, okay, so, like, why, okay, if he's a shield, if they're shield agents, why are they, why isn't their kid more, like, protected or so? I don't know. It would just yeah. seem really weird to me, um, even in the comic books. But, um, and that's one of the things I liked about Ultimate Spider-Man. They kind of retconned it to where his father was just, like, a, a scientist. So that's where Peter got his uh, science inclination. But, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I, always felt, I always felt that was so weird. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's my issue with Iron Man helping Spider-Man, too, in the Tom Holland version is it like it takes away the just every average day Spider-Man feel to it if he has yeah. like the support and uh like benefactor of um Tony Stark whereas like I do think Tobey Maguire does give off although he's like 40 and 12 at the same time <laughs> he he does give off that feeling that he could just be like an average kid from Queens yeah I get that yeah absolutely we um, we have to talk about the guy that we have to talk about the legend, J. Jonah Jameson. Oh yes, J.K. Yes. Simmons. Simmons. The best. Great like casting. there's no no other man could be this role. Have either of you seen Juno? Yes, a uh, long time ago. Okay, I don't that was the moment where I was like, oh my god, J.K. Simmons is such a good actor, and. That was, like, before Whiplash came out, when he, like, really became an A-list celebrity. So it's really funny going back and seeing him in this. And, you know, he's just so cartoony. <laughs> he's so great. He's so great. <laughs> he pulls off the character so much. You know what's crazy? When I watched the bootleg, and I'll never forget this, you could hear people clapping in the movie theater <laughs> when he shows up. Because people, I think it was universally thought. This was perfect casting for J. Jonah Jameson. He's so great. Eddie's been on it for weeks. We can barely get a glimpse of him. Oh, what is he, shy? If we can get a picture of Julia Roberts in a thong, we can certainly get a picture of this weirdo. Put an ad on the front page. Cash money for a picture of Spider-Man. He doesn't want to be famous. And I'll make him infamous. Oh, my God. And I... Perfect casting, and I just... I love every moment of screen of him because he's just this absolute asshole. Yeah. Like he's ripping. <laughs> he's like, he's that's outrageous. He's definitely a libertarian. Yeah. $300, that's outrageous. <laughs> Here's a check. But I will but, say a, a moment that I love with him, and I actually texted Courtney, you, Courtney, about this. Mm-hmm. I love the moment when he like laughs off Peter Parker, but then mm-hmm. he chucks a cigar out the window. Yeah. And then the Green Goblin tosses it back in. <laughs> like, I noticed it now. I'm like, why Why would you do why that? Why would you and do then, that? But then the Green Goblin storms into the office. He's looking for the photographer who took the Spider-Man photos. And I told Cordy, I'm like, I think this is a deliberate choice. We see some true, you know, respect and humanity in this man. Because he could have very easily just said, there he is, Peter Parker. But right. J. Jonas St. Jameson, yeah. He's like, Jonas say, Jonas oh, say, Jameson. <laughs> he's like, I don't know him. He just drops them off. Yeah, and that was the a mail or something. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a really true I, moment for a character. I'm glad you texted me about that because when I was watching it, I was also folding laundry, 
And um, I, I didn't really pay close attention to that interaction. And at the time I was like, oh, that there's like this disconnect between that scene and the previous scene where he's yelling at Peter Parker and is like, I'm only going to give you $200, $300. Um, but, you know, when we talked it out, I was like, oh, that, that does make sense that there is like a moment of growth for our guy, J. Jonah Jameson, um, when he says like, oh, I, I don't know him. He just sends them in the mail and we send him a check and that's it. Um, There's this excellent meme of, um, it's like a two panel meme where the first one is like Joker saying like people reveal themselves when they're about to die or when they think they're about to die. It's from the Dark Knight. Mm -hmm. And it's the next scene. And the next panel is that scene where Bob's holding him by the neck and saying like, oh, this just comes by the mail. And I'm like, yeah, that was such a great and pivotal scene of growth because it's like he comes off as a complete, almost like one-dimensional cartoon like you mentioned. But then it's just like he's doing everything he can or as much as he can to protect Peter from this monster. So yeah, I thought that was really, um, to your point, it's, it's a really cool scene. And Elizabeth Banks is his assistant. I know, right? She looks so young there. I had a crush so, uh, on her when I saw that. Oh, really? Oh, you had yeah. a crush on her when I was a kid. I was like, she's beautiful. I mean, she is beautiful. Yeah. But then we also have uh, Sam Raimi's brother, Ted Raimi, playing in the role. He's, uh, I think he's one of the... I don't know if he's like one of the writers or he's an assistant, but he always popping yeah. his head in and out. He's a very recognizable. When you see him, you're like, oh, I've seen this guy in every movie Sam Raimi's ever made. I you love I saw him? fictional Sorry, newspaper office scenes. Because they're always like, hey, you get the the front page and, and this. <laughs> and then like people are like running around like it's I don't think that exists anymore because you know, we don't put as much intention into newspapers. I think that, like, the desire to create headlines still exists in the internet right. world. But I, I feel like that's something that I love about movies that people aren't going to keep doing is this sort of, like, fast-paced, old-timey, like, hey, you, I put the ad in there for three quarters of a page. <laughs> 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 so they so do good. capture that really wonderfully in this movie. Um... I don't know about you guys, but I, so I had the anticipation that I was going to hate all of the graphics in this movie, but I feel like the glider was still, there were like a lot of effects that I feel like was done really well. And the sound of that glider was like music yeah. to my ears. Yeah. It was so cathartic. Just like, ah, oh, so good. Cause a lot of it was so practical, like Sam Raimi pulling off his camera tricks. Like I remember there was a scene where like, there was a, like an, there was like a police car that was held up by webs and that was like a real car. Like it, it just, there was felt a lot of gravity to the effects. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it's still valuable about practical effects that you just can't, no matter how good the CGI budget is, no matter how current the CGI budget is, there is like a weight and a physicality to practical effects yeah. that you just can't d- duplicate. Yeah. Well, even in this movie, they developed a new camera trick um where you know how like when you watch a sport game like a sporting event the the camera is on like these wires and it glides across the field uh-huh. they kind of started that with this movie in this movie they took like cables and would stretch them across uh buildings and would have the camera glide across oh, that's so cool. and then and then comp and then a composite shot of spider-man into that scene to create that like kind of webbing effect of like going through the buildings it was really right. well done that's so awesome. Cool. 
Um, one of the things that definitely bothered me as a kid that uh, my dad and I would discuss like in the movie theater that is different from the original is uh, that the webs come from his wrists. Oh, God. Ooh. All right, we need to talk about this. Okay. What's, your, yeah. what's everybody's take on the organic web shooters? I, I'm fine with it personally. I think it's a great idea. I just think like viscerally as a child who was very squeamish this bothered me very much and i just thought of like my veins and i would like keep holding my wrists <laughs> when i watched it um but i remember like watching the cartoons and being like he has cartridges what do you guys think uh, for me uh like you i was i thought it was a, a great idea um and i've heard people talk about this before it's just like how is this high school kid going to create this completely new organic like web fluid um, that he web constantly fluid. has to, yeah, has to constantly replace and everything. For me, it kind of, it, I always found it like kind of ridiculous. I accepted it as a character, but when Sam Raimi made the decision to like make it organic from his wrist, and you're right, it was a little weird. Just like, oh, like you end up looking at your wrist, yeah. for whatever reason, as like a reaction to it. But I thought it was it was kind of smart, and I think in Spider Man Two you even see them not working. So it kind of, you know, it's not like it completely moves away from like how imperfect the web shooters are from the comic books. Uh, but it also makes sense because like, why would, how would this kid be able to do this? If this kid is so broke, why is he having, yeah. creating this like, like these, like these web shooters like that can do such amazing stuff. Like people can use this for science and everything. So I personally thought it was a good idea. Yeah. Now you had mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, like the Joker and it's like relation to like okay. how people respond when they're about to die. I feel like Green Goblin does have sort of a similar manifesto or belief sure. that, you know, okay. we choose our destinies and like he has a lot of logical thinking behind his insanity, which is really interesting to me. For me, I think Overall, Green Goblin is a—I don't know—it's—he's it, an underrated or underutilized villain for Spider-Man. I think he is um, the worst. Like he is like, uh, like his Joker, right? And in the movies, there's only been—I'm actually surprised there's only been one interpretation other than William Defoe. And I know it's very hard to replicate, but um him being utilized and even in the comic books he's not as utilized as he used to be especially in the 70s and 80s and for me i thought that he is like a he him more than anyone else else knows spider-man's identity his personal life right and could really mess things up for peter so seeing him not used that much is always like you have this great character that's on like almost on the level of joker as far as this like a, a bringer of chaos and he's kind of unutilized now at the same time they did such an amazing do- job with doc ock who is kind of on the same level as green god yeah he's just like he's a personal villain for peter as well right for me the best villains are the ones that know spider-man and know peter so that so it kind of balances out but i always feel like 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 green goblin norman osborne that whole relationship with his son and like how they know each other and how personal it is, is something that's not as utilized as much. And I was, I'm excited for what, what could be in No, in no Way Home. Uh, but at the same time, I would have loved to see the MCU's interpretation of Green Goblin if they were going to introduce him. 
But like I was saying, like, so what you were saying, like with these villains, like they represent kind of an antithesis to what's going on with Peter Parker. Like Green Goblin has this amazing power and gift and he, like Peter, has been kind of put in this situation of like shame and, you know, everything taken away from him. So he utilizes his power for vengeance and he like, that's why he propositioned Spider-Man to join him. But despite that he's like no spider-man because of the actions of he saw the consequences of his actions he saw what happens when he takes things for granted you know his his family gets hurt and that's mm -hmm. what's beautiful about these villains and why they're so compelling i think that you know um we talked about how like this is sort of his joker um and i i do wholeheartedly believe that and i think having Willem Dafoe play the Green Goblin as well as he does definitely lays that foundation. So I'm surprised to hear that he's underutilized. Um, I do think that when you have somebody like Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin or Alfred Molina as Doc Ock, it's so hard to have somebody else fill those shoes. Like when they embody the persona so much, it's impossible to find somebody else who can play that role. I mean, even at this point, I feel like with Catherine Hahn as Agatha, like who could be Agatha at this point, you know? Um, but I feel like, you know, in a lot of Marvel movies now, uh, the villain has like the exact same qualities and powers as our hero, whereas I feel like the best villains for me personally are the ones who are the complete opposite, like the yin to the yang, which is why I think Batman and Joker work so well. Batman is about order and justice and the Joker is about like chaos and pain and I feel like Spider-Man represents like the everyday middle to lower class kid and I feel like actually uh, Norman's power and status as this businessman, this upper class businessman is a part of his villainy and part of like the reason behind his insanity and his like rationale to it. He says like, there are 8 billion people in New York city or 8 million, whatever he says. And he's like, and most of them are just stepping stones for the few great ones like us. And then also like, I think that's part of his vengeance, right? Is he built this entire organization. He pays for his son's apartment and then as soon as they let him go, he's like, no, you can't do that to me. I deserve this. Um, so that sort of mentality of like, I'm going to take what's mine. So that's, that's extremely insightful because I never really thought of it like that. Yeah. Like, I always, uh, I, I always envision the Green Goblin just, he's like a very personal villain for Peter, right? Like he makes mm -hmm. things personal. Like, so it get, becomes scary, but I never really thought about like the differences as, as far as like, socioeconomically where it's just like yeah he's a billionaire with this mentality of I'm gonna take what i want and you know fuck everyone else where peter he's like you know he's for that he's, he's grinding essentially and he's not really good at paying his rent and all this other stuff so i never really yeah never like I am, i'm actually quite uh, flabbergasted <laughs> thank, thank you yeah no i <laughs> never thought about that and and I think that's uh, part of his, like, yeah. judgment against uh, MJ, too, is, like, he kind of treats her as just, like, she's this trash from Queens. Like, yeah. learn her better. And then, like, once she, you know, breaks up with him, he can be like, all right, now I can kill your ex-girlfriend. 
great that's a great point that just actually makes me think of it of the character deeper and that also kind of makes me even sadder that the character hasn't been utilized but to your point mm-hmm. yeah, Willem Dafoe is the green goblin I can't imagine totally. any I can't think of anyone that could possibly take on that character I don't understand did you think it was coincidence so many good things all happening for you all for you Norman What do you want? To say what you won't. To do what you can't. To remove those in your way. The board members. You killed them. We killed them. We? Remember your little accident in the laboratory? Performance enhancers. Bingo. Me. Your greatest creation. Exactly. And you know what's crazy is like, we're talking about these points and like, and this is what got, kind of gets me really excited. Even though we haven't seen the movie yet, um, those, that theme of like, him compelling Spider-Man and trying to, you know, feed him this persona and acting as his opposite does play mm-hmm. out in the trailer with those quotes where like, he mocks Spider-Man. He's like, you're trying to grasp control, you know, of everything. Mm. And you just can't do it. Like, if that, they're going to, I hope they continue that theme into this movie. Because it makes sense, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, it's really hard to give autonomy to these female roles um, in this point in the 2000s. So I was, like, trying to grasp onto anything for MJ. And I think, uh, like, that sort of, like, classism that norman displays like during the thanksgiving scene i wish that that was like more of a direction that they could have gone in for her other than just like i want to be an actress and i think i'm in love with this person but also i'm in love with this person but also now i'm being kidnapped again oh no um is like her ability to like try to enter the sort of elitism of broadway and fine theater from like her childhood growing up and also like feeling independent because like clearly she's got some insecurities from her family life and that is totally justified and expected um you know of course like uh, yeah i'm i'm a feminist i gotta throw that in there as a complaint just a little no bit, i just a t- I, tad bit. <laughs> I, I agree to a certain extent. even the very end where um mm-hmm. he she basically professes her love to peter i kind of mm-hmm. uh, you know what it, it was just like it was cringy because yeah, my, yeah. in my head, I'm like, you guys just graduated high school, right? Like any yeah. relationship you're getting into is, is you know, going to be, it's very rare that it's just like high school sweethearts stay on, like um, become like close relationships. And the fact that she's saying, I love you and all this stuff. And like, for me, I'm like, man, if they were done with a different line, like let's, I don't know, it, it wouldn't have been as powerful, but she's like, let's get in a relationship or let's go out. Something that's like a little bit more realistic. I felt that. Yeah. But it also, it, her saying that kind of took away from her character. And that's where I'm like, oh man, they did her wrong in this movie because she kind of, she's kind of one note, right? And to your point, if yeah. she was kind of struggling against that or uh, trying to, I don't know, prove herself, not prove herself, but just like trying to br- break into that Broadway lesson and just play around with the whole thing in class, 
Man, that would have been a, a much deeper film and made her more three dimensional character because, yeah, I I feel like they, in my personal opinion, they kind of did it wrong in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, they just sort of like toss her around like hot potato yeah. of like what guy she's with in the movie at the time. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the ending of the film because, like, dude, even if you didn't date for that long and like his dad, like, called you out. Like maybe you shouldn't be kissing his best friend at your ex boyfriend's yeah. father's funeral. Like that just seems like bad timing all around. Yeah, it's really messed up. <laughs> it's, just, it's messed up. <laughs> okay, so are we ready to ask the question? Although it seems kind of convoluted because of the Marvel universe. Yes, I'm ready to answer this question. Okay, Tom. Yes. Y'all now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do you think? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> do you think this movie would be successful today as it was back then? Ooh. Do you want to take this, Yona? Oh, that's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I. Okay, so in this scenario, are there the current movies out right now? Let's say they had never mm. been created Spider-Man movie before, and then. Boom. Ooh. Sam Raimi was hired to do one, and this is the movie he created in the Marvel Universe. Are we playing with that scenario? Yeah. Okay, if we're playing with yeah, that... Yeah, I'm into it. If we're playing with that scenario, I don't think it would have been received well. And mm. I think not because... I I, I, I solely think because of uh, MJ's character. I think it would be yeah, solely that because of... Yeah. That, that would, would take me really, Because you've had yeah. so many strong female characters in these different Marvel movies that just like they're love interests, but they have, they have three dimensions. So when you see MJ, mm. it's just like, ah, is this like even comparing mm-hmm. her to um, Zendaya's interpretation. It's like, I love Zendaya. Yeah. It's just like, she's, she's one of the most interesting characters on screen when she's on screen. And mm. when MJ's on screen, especially uh, is it Kirsten or Kristen? Kirsten. Kirsten, Kirsten Dunst. It's just that. like, Man, she's talented. We've seen her in other stuff before, right? And right. it's just like, oh, she's so underutilized. So I don't think, I, I think it would be, I don't know. I, I don't think it would be a memorable one if it was one of the MCU um, movies. I think its role as being one of the first or second successful Marvel movies, um, mm-hmm. it like gives it that leeway. Like it's sort of a product of the time. Hmm. I don't know. What do you guys think? Tom, feel? what do you think? Um, I actually am a little more optimistic, but although you are correct, there's certain things that don't age well that would need to change. But I think as a whole, like this created the platform and the template for like adapting, mm-hmm. especially Marvel comics to screen. I think even the fact that like, like if you would ask me like 10 years ago, I would have been like, no, it would confuse the audience. They wouldn't get it. Now, I think the audience is well aware that there's like different, you know, multiple universes and a Spider-Man cartoon like Into the Spider-Verse can do phenomenal and not be tied to the other movies at all. I think Hmm. if they were to like, let's just say I would change the question, even if they were to like make the like make Sam Raimi's like vision of the fourth movie, I think Mm -hmm. if they did that now audiences are smart enough to know the difference like oh this is its own thing it's not a part of that it's its own thing 
Mm-hmm. And I think the love for the series is so strong. It would, I think it would do well. I don't know if this movie, now that you're now pointing out, I don't know if this movie as is would do as well today. But I think that the love for those types of Sam Raimi universe, I mean, like they gave him Dr. Strange, like, He's directing Doctor Strange, and I'm sure he has a hand in this Spider-Man movie because there's a lot of crossover. Right. That love for his style and storytelling is very much still there. So that's kind of my mm. like yes and no answer. <laughs> okay. I I feel like what I what I do love about this Spider-Man more than any of the MCU movies in its entirety is I do feel like this captures the purity of like the love for spider-man it captures like the essence of spider-man and what it's about um that being said they'd have to change the cgi because they've got that scene where kirsten dunce is being flung around by uh mannequin spider-man yeah and the wind is just like blowing in both directions (laughs) (laughs) this is I, i think by far the most memeable Spider-Man, and when you guys are mentioning that, like everybody hates Peter Parker, everybody clearly is not for Tobey Maguire either, yeah. because there's the meme of his crying face, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I think that it, it just wouldn't exist in this world. There are definitely elements that I would love to see if Sam Raimi was the one directing, like keeping Bruce Campbell in it, and like keeping the core, like pure essence of like what makes Spider-Man special. Uh, but I think, and I think that Yanel's right. I think that like, I mean, I think you both are right in the sense that like the audience is smart enough now where we could be like, oh, there's a multiverse. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, Spider-Man. I, um, if, yeah. Uh, one thing I, I did want to point out is that I think what would really translate well is the fun aspect of it, because even going back to yeah. watch it, I'm like, and this is, this is fun. Like it's it, so fun. Yeah. And if I got to compare it with, um, what was the first movie? First Spider-Man: Homecoming. Um, I I I have to say I like Tobey Maguire. Like if that was if Tobey Maguire movie was replaced with that one in that timeline, mm. I gotta say I kind of like I like it a little bit more because kind of to your point it's like a more it, it's it's a more contained story right about mm-hmm. a kid from Queens rather than No Way Home being about a kid from Queens who also knows one of the most billion one of the most successful people on the planet and he's mentoring him and all this stuff other stuff so um yeah i felt like yeah i think it would be able to that would be it's also saving grace that it's so it's fun mm-hmm. it's whimsical and it's, it's enjoyable you kind of have to laugh yeah. one thing i did want to mention you kind of have to laugh at like how pathetic they make him in the movie hmm. yeah, oh my yeah, god he's so pathetic <laughs> yeah, i'm like oh why does he have to i I've, I've never been in that situation before and i don't know anyone who has but him chasing after the bus gets me every time I'm like oh god bro let me just you get just you a take car. Public transportation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you're in, you're in the city. Get get a friend. You have a rich friend. Tell him to pick you up in his car or something. I was like, you can't. Don't right. do that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do have like a really really quick question about Homecoming. Sure. Um, do they kill Uncle Ben in Homecoming? No, no. Oh, thank God! They, I can't they, watch Uncle Ben die for a third time. Not even in it. They acknowledge <laughs> it. They acknowledge it offhand, but I think they learned their lesson to like not beat a dead horse because that's the thing like kevin feige because he's been he's been on board since day one like he was a big hand in this spider-man movie like kevin feige has been involved with like all the marvel movies and i think that's why there is this like template of consistency that you know 
he sees what has worked before and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. Right. So, like, I think he definitely saw that people were sick of, you know, they you can't recreate what was the golden standard in Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. So, like, they don't recreate it. And I think they there's some subtext to, like, Peter looking for that kind of mentor in a Tony Stark and him having to learn, like, Tony Stark isn't my uncle. Mm -hmm. But, like, yeah, they don't they don't re they don't Batman it. Okay, good. <laughs> well, guy, how do you guys feel about um, him not ever saying that with great power comes great responsibility? Because there's that one scene where uh, Tony confronts him in um, the apartment in Captain America: Civil War, and you see him like Tony asks him like, "Why do you do this?" And I won't lie, there was a part of me just like, "Just say it, just say it." With great power comes great just responsibility. Just say it. <laughs> And then just say what the additional stuff you want to say to it, right? And it's just like, yeah. oh, that's, for me, it's kind of like that Uncle Ben thing where it's just like, oh, we know already, right? But at the same time, mm. I feel like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that not being there. Like, you said, yeah, you know, sometimes when you have these powers, like, great power comes, like, introduce it naturally. I don't know. I don't know how you guys mm. feel about that. But for me, I was just like, didn't we see Captain America Civil War together, Tom? I think we yeah, did. Yeah, we did. Yeah, that's when I was just like, oh, come on. Like, can we just, I just want to, I just want those four words or five words. Just say it, just say it, just say it. I, I know. I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I have not seen Civil War. Uh, like, I'm really, I really just, like, I got to cherry pick which uh, MCU movies I watch, so yeah. I'm not sick of it. Uh, but yeah, I, I feel like, you know, those lines with great power comes great responsibility is such an iconic line. And, you know, there are definitely some iconic elements to this trilogy, you know, like the kiss scene. My dad would always call this like one of the most iconic kiss scenes in cinema, um, even though apparently it was like freezing cold. And, you know, Tobey Maguire was getting like lighthead trying to <laughs> yeah. do the kissing scene upside down. Um but yeah, I mean, it, it's a fun film, and I think part of that is Sam Raimi. Like, I, I Raimi? Am I, I feel like Raimi, I'm saying yeah. it wrong. Sam Raimi. Yeah. Normally, Tom is the one screwing up names on the podcast, I but I, I am. am taking that crown today. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. Should we head to our final question? Yes. Okay. Tom, you want to know? Mm hmm what have you guys been obsessed with? Usually it's weekly obsession, but you know, we've had a month. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, just what have you guys been obsessed with this past month? What have you been up to? What have you been doing? How's it going? Christmas shopping. Oh no, already? Well, it, already it's like, it's, 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 it's the, this will be out in December. Oh, good point. Good point. <laughs> um, what have I been obsessed with? <laughs> oh, bro, but like I can't, I can't get into. There's one thing I'm obsessed with. It's a video game, man. It, I think about it like a lot, right? What video game? It's called. Don't judge me. Uh, city Skylines. It's kind of like you create your own city. Essentially, that's what you're doing, right? And oh, cool. And it's just like, you know, my dad's an engineer and he's into infrastructure and all this other stuff. So me doing, I spend hours upon hours like i literally brought my playstation 4 from home all the way to janelle's place Amazing. just to play it and i could spend you have you guys have no idea it's like a weird obsession i literally have this stuff away from it. <laughs> but for me i'm like how can i make this road better so that people can actually walk on it 
but how so how can i create a metro system so i can make some money like how can i make this better oh my than God, the amazing. nba yeah it's just it, it becomes an obsession of mine <laughs> and my uh my brother-in-law he plays the game and then i, I got to a full-blown conversation and it very quickly realized like he's like dude i don't know that much i'm like okay i gotta i can't i can't show everyone the whole thing about city skylines you know i can't show everyone that side of me not everyone's ready for it but yeah that's what i've been obsessing with recently they don't know me like that yeah exactly i'm just like okay no, dial it back you know dial it back dial it back abort abort um, i mean I, i've been doing the same thing in animal crossing really i'm like terraforming and like okay this needs a path and like there can't be this much open space so this should this should be here and like people will um, like custom build designs for like roads and pathways and they'll make like lace to make it look like there's a lace blanket on the ground it's beautiful yeah yeah i got it on my ps4 and i got it for my laptop because i wanted to play with the mods <laughs> and it's just really bad guys but i just it just janelle's uh my girlfriend she was uh mentioning like i i could like i kind of appreciate how he just gets really into it and tries to figure out how can I make these people's lives better? How can I increase the Aww. education of all these people, but also so they can easily get to work and if they want to work in the industry? Yeah, it was, it's also kind of a little bit like capitalist where I'm just like, I need to find out a way to make money sometimes. Like, I, I like the city is constantly in debt. We can't be $3 million in debt. This is not sustainable. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I've been like obsessing over the past past month and if i'm gonna be honest the past few months because it it is a great way to unwind after a pretty stressful uh time that is amazing yeah <laughs> i think you got about all day i'm not but i'm gonna i'm gonna spare you guys that <laughs> um well my obsession has been um i started my etsy account Ooh, congratulations Woo! Um, people can now buy my prints and I will be, um, by the time this episode comes out, uh, I will be announcing like handmade earrings. Yay. Um, yay. So, um, if you are interested in giving your loved ones some unique art or handmade jewelry, um, you can go to Demure and Dangerous on Etsy. It's kind of like a play on, um, the expectations and standards that we put on women. So... So I called it demure and dangerous. Nice. Yeah. Send me that link. Okay. All right. Do you want me to wrap it up here, guys? Sure. I also have to really run to the bathroom. <laughs> I've been like spinning in my chair for a while All now. Right. All right. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome yeah. back. We love it. We're here. Yeah. And also and welcome Yonel. Thank, thank you so you. much for joining us. No, yeah. pleasure is mine. Thank and you for Yonel, having me. You will be joining us for two and three too. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I'd love yeah. to. Yeah. Let's I do the wanna, whole trilogy. I want to go back to the entire the, the entire trilogy. So I'm definitely yes, down awesome. to talk more about it. Cool. Oh yeah. Well, with that, folks, be sure to follow us on the Instagram at Remember the Zero Zero S Podcast. And if you want to listen to us, just type us into Google. We're on Spotify, Google. Bam. Uh, Bam. Amazon. Bam. 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 YouTube. We're on YouTube. We are on YouTube sometimes. Sometimes when we sometimes. don't get copy strikes. Yeah. Really? YouTube. Damn you. <laughs> Tom likes to play on the wild side. And uh, 
well, as some audio that YouTube does not like. Yeah. <laughs> YouTube gets very mad, even though yeah. it's within it's within respectable, you know, Confines. terms. Yeah. I know mm -hmm. the rules, but you know, sometimes some companies are pickier than others. But um, yeah, that's all, folks. Thank you so much. Enjoy the holiday season and get ready for more Spider-Man. Yeah. A crap, 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 mega crap. I'll give you 200 bucks for all of them. That seems a little low. Take him somewhere else then. Sit down. Give me that. I'll give you 300. That's a standard freelance fee. Tear up page one, run that photo instead. Headline? Spider-Man, hero or menace? Exclusive Daily Bugle photos. Menace? He was protecting that armor I'll tell you what, Atticus. You take the pictures, I'll make up the headlines, okay? All right? That okay with you? Yes, sir. Goody. I'd like a job, sir. No jobs. Freelance. Best thing in the world for a kid your age.